Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, I am so excited to introduce, formally introduce, not one, but two guest co-hosts today. One is returning to the IC podcast, and this time she has returned with a friend. And I know that today's conversation is going to be so rich. So for those of you who are familiar with how we do things here at the IC podcast, I always like to take an opportunity to provide a formal introduction, reading the bios, the accolades, the credentials of our guest co-hosts so that you can be well-informed about how in which they show up to this space and what qualifies them to be able to speak on topics relevant to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'm going to do the same today for our two guest co-hosts. I will start first with Anu Mandapati. And Anu is an award-winning global diversity, equity, and inclusion and leadership development thought leader. She was selected as one of top 100 DEI leaders of 2021 by Mogul, serves as the head of DEI at Magic Leap and DEI Coaching Center faculty for the Forum on Workplace Inclusion, very familiar with that, and has previously served as VP, head of DEI at Talking Talent and USDNI coaching leader at PWC. Anu is also an ICF professional certified coach, PCC, certified team performance coach, CTPC, and national board certified health and wellness coach, NBC slash HWC, giving you all the acronyms for these things that we're pointing out to you about Anu's background. Anu works at the intersection of leadership, relationships, well-being, and inclusion to coach executives and teams to navigate change, work across difference, amplify their impact, and shape a better future. She has also partnered with various global Fortune 500 organizations to create their multi-year enterprise-wide DEI strategy. Anu believes that what we create in the workplace has the power to transform people's lives and society. As leaders, we can make an individual, organizational, and societal impact. Anu has a passion for writing about leadership and organizational development and is a contributing author of two books, The Female CEO and A View from the Top Exceptional Leadership Strategies for Women. Her leadership tips, tools, and strategies have been featured in various publications, including Forbes, Fortune, HR Daily Advisor, Inc., Money, and Yahoo. Our next guest co-host today that I would like to provide an introduction for is Elanda B. Johnson, who is a certified executive coach, um, NBHWC certified health and wellness coach, a team coach, global human resources, HR leader, diversity strategist, entrepreneur, and dynamic speaker. She has committed her career to inspiring leaders to embrace their strengths and unique gifts while honoring their values, gaining influence, and creating impact within their organizations, businesses, and communities. With over 16 years of experience working in diverse roles in tech, professional services, and professional sports, Elanda is a sought-after and credentialed coach and an expert consultant and facilitator on topics such as coaching for change, leading with impact, DEI, well-being, and a range of assessments, including HBDI and the Leadership Circle Profile. 
Elanda helps clients focus on their wide range of leadership capabilities with clarity and intention, one of my favorite words. Elanda resides in the Dallas, Texas area with her entrepreneur husband and three talented children. When not coaching, she enjoys traveling, quality time with friends and family, and pursuing real estate apps for inspiration. So Vodcast community, you know what we do here. We always take a moment either through the emojis, through words of expression in the chat to show appreciation to our guest co-host. So today is going to be no different. I will ask that you please welcome them in your own way as I take to spotlighting them to bring them into the conversation. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Anu and Elanda. We're so glad to see you here today. I want to give you a chance to first and foremost greet this audience in your own way. But I'll tell you, one of the things that we do here at NWC and our podcast is you can't repeat something that's already in your bio. We've already read all of that. What we're looking for now is something that um, maybe helps us to connect with you on a different level. Sometimes our guest co-hosts will share maybe intersecting identities that helps them to really show up the way that they do to this conversation, to this work. So whatever it is, what do we not know about you? Um, we hope that you will feel inclined to share that with us. And so Anu, we'll start with you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I will say that for me, the reason this per this work is very personal to me, um, and you know, for for many many reasons. And most people don't know that I actually was born in India, and I moved here when I was around five six years of age. And a big part of why I do this work is I never felt like I fit in because people had shared with me that I wasn't Indian enough, or people had shared that I wasn't American enough, and to me. As a, as a kid, I didn't really know what to do with, you know, how to fit in and what would, you know, how do you create belonging for my, for yourself as well as for other people. And so that to me has driven everything that I've done. So whether it's in workplaces, whether it's in communities, whether, you know, friends, family, I always try to create spaces where people feel like they belong. And then a personal fun fact, I live in Austin, Texas, and I eat lots of Tex-Mex. <laughs> so... <laughs> Fantastic. One of our colleagues who's on today, she's in Dallas, Texas as well. And so I'm sure that probably resonated with her. Great. Alanda, your turn. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so where do I begin? Um, I, I am Anu's soul sister. We are kindred spirits in this work. Um, I am excited to be here with you all. And just thank you for the invitation to both Nika and Anu. Um, let's see. What what else do you need to know about me? Um, I am divine light. Oh. I show up in an authentic way in every interaction that I have. Um, I will repeat the word intention because that is my word. That was in my bio. Um, I am a light bringer and a hope seeker. I hold that space for every leader that I encounter um, in a way that helps them to live into their best selves and their divine purpose. I'm pausing here because I just want us all to take that in, to take your words in. Um, you are divine light. Uh, I have chills. I literally have chill bumps right now. That is so powerful, so powerful. And um, 
I, I can't wait for us to just, you know, delve right into some of the topics because I, I know that it's going to fill us all at the end of this week, right? We Some of us may be in geographies where we are concerned about the weather and the storm and the hurricanes. And so there's a lot that we, we all could be holding as we engage in today's conversation. But just hearing you say, I am divine light, it, it puts such a, a huge calm over me. So I, I am ready. I want to start because some of our audience members could be thinking, well, why do you have two guest hosts today? What do they have in common? And why are they both in this particular um, session together? And so I want to start there. So how did you both meet and what brought you to the DEI space? And I'll let you decide who, who should go first. We can, we can both jump in. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we actually worked together um, quite a number of years ago and We've, I mean, we both, we talk um, on a weekly basis, uh, you know, a lot of part sometimes of daily. Yeah, sometimes daily. So she is one of my thought partners. Whenever we need to navigate situations, we bounce ideas off of each other. And it's so amazing to have such, you know, a, a supportive group in life. Um, and, and she's definitely in, in this nice little, you know, we call each other soul sisters. And so she's definitely in my soul sister circle. I love that. Anything you'd like to add, Yolanda, to that? Well, I'll say we we met doing um, as leadership coaches, um, and with we both have just a, a natural affinity for um, DEI and B work. Um, Anu shared a little bit about her story and what brought her to this work. For me, I identify as you know a um, African American or, or Black woman, and I've been raised in environments where um, sometimes I may have been the only one or part of the minority. And for me, it's always been important to create spaces where, um, dis despite how you identify, you feel included in a sense of, of you know, belonging connection. And so both of us um, in our former work really leaned into that. And that's where um, the, the relationship really started, us, us both having a passion for the work and, and finding that connectivity and then the relationship blossomed from there. Yeah. Oh, that is beautiful. And so you both actually did work together at PwC. Mm -hmm. And um, for a little fun fact for the benefit of this audience is that we have had the pleasure of having a part of the NWC team, um, Cosette Strong, who serves as one of our senior directors of DEI strategy and design. And um, it is because anew of the connection that you made before the two of us that um, Cosette's now a part of the NWC team. And so as we were preparing for today, there've been numerous occasions where Cosette has um, just lit up with you know great excitement around the fact that we were going to be able to have you both on today. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity just to um, add to the spotlight Cosette to allow her a moment just to be able to say hello and 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 just to, to greet the two of you. And I'm sure she's probably gonna have lots of other things to share throughout our conversation today. So Cosette, the floor is yours. Hi. Hi, Anu. Hi, Alanda. I am so happy that you are here. You know, just a little fun fact about, you know, our, our PwC connection. Um, you know, when I first met Anu, um, she and I just just bonded over so much. I, re I remember seeing her do some some group coaching and I just thought we're I just want to know her. I just, I just want to know her. And, and over the years, um, you know, she has been my soul sister and just, just encouraging me, supporting me, um, just helping me live uh, my life to the best potential. And, and I feel like she and a 
Londa and I have so much in common. And so I am excited that they are here, that uh, you know we can share them with this, this amazing IC Vodcast community. So welcome, welcome. Can't wait to hear the rest. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Cassette. So I think probably many of us are sitting back thinking, hmm, I, how do I get to be a soul sister? I've kind of lied through the field of this. And so, so anyway, but nonetheless, thank you both again for being here. I want to shift and I want to talk about how organizations are really focused on recruitment and retention right now, right? And so how does developing leaders in a more inclusive and equitable way support retention. That seems like something that you both are closely connected with. And so, um, Elanda, we'll start with you. And then um, Anu, we'll love for you to also chime in. Sure. So when we think about retention in general, um, I think we have to go to the reason why people choose to stay or go. And I always encourage leaders and um, clients that I'm working with to really think about their why. Like what, what has drawn you to, uh, to a particular place? Um, why do you continue to stay? Like, what's the elevator pitch for, you know, for that, that position that you're holding? And what we experience is that when that starts to shift um, and it's, it's not as positive is when people start thinking about transitioning. And particularly for people of, of color that are, that identify as, as a minority, one of the number one things that comes up is not having that sense of, of belonging and inclusion or feeling like what was communicated coming in in terms of the commitment to DEI and B um, differs from what they're actually experiencing. And so I really think that goes to like how we're developing and coaching and mentoring leaders and, and people that are in decision-making positions in those organizations, because you have the power to, in, you know, to impact the experience um, of those individuals. So I think that's why it's critical to retention because basically to summarize that, like we don't want to just be a, a, a poster, right? Um, of drawing in talent. We actually want to make sure that there's an environment where people feel like they can thrive and really grow. Yes, absolutely. And, and what I want to add to that is if you look at so many organizations, especially in these last two to three years, the focus, heavy focus has been on representation. So bringing in as many diverse individuals as possible. And we're not spending enough time focusing on the inclusion piece of it. And mm -hmm. what happens when we do that, you know, people are either disengaged or they actually leave. And these stats are a little bit old, but in 2015, um, Intel spent a significant number of resources to diversify their employee base. So they brought in 212 black professionals. And in one year, they lost 202. And this is not unique to Intel. It, it happens in oh so many places because we're not spending enough time focusing on what, what is that culture where we're inclusive, people experience that sense of belonging at the team level as well as the organizational level. So for leaders, what are they doing, especially at, at that team level? What are they doing you know, one-on-one -on -one to really make sure that this person feels included, part of the team, part of the organization? And you know, it's especially in the last two years, we've seen it too. Our personal lives intersect with our professional lives. So just showing that care and showing that connection, that's going to make the difference for retention. And it's really, it's, it's a non-negotiable skill for leaders to have at this point. It's not, it's not an option that they've got to be focused on it. 
Absolutely. I, I truly, it truly resonates with me, the need for there to be a parallel path. I mean, yes, we certainly want to make sure that we are amplifying the need for good representation, which means we have to have that strategic recruiting strategy to get that representation. But there's going to be a revolving door if we also aren't aligned with what are those strategies that's going to help us to retain that talent. You know, people say all the time that I, I embrace diversity, I welcome diversity, and I think that they're well intended. But the bottom line is that we don't have to do anything really to create diversity. It's already here and happening. It's the inclusion part, which is what you're speaking to anew, that's so important and requires us being calculated, calibrated, action-oriented, strategic, right, to bring that full circle. And then, Ilanda, mm -hmm. you mentioned the word belonging, which we know is so important to this broad conversation. Um, this, this podcast community has heard me share so many times that it is hard for any person, regardless of their background and their demographics, any person, to show up at their best in any environment, if they always are questioning whether or not they belong, right? Do I belong here? Am I seen? Am I valued? Am I heard? Do I have full opportunity for success? So the list goes on and on. So I, I appreciate you, you providing that commentary. What are some of the biases that are at play when developing leaders? And, and specifically when you think about leadership, executive coaching engagements, what are some biases that may show forth that could allow the output to not be as effective? I know both of you are in that coaching space. And so share a little bit of your thoughts in that regard. I'd say that I always ask leaders to think about the picture that they have of what, what does a leader look like? And many times you look at the senior most roles in most organizations in the U.S. and, and that's of, of white men. So sometimes these leadership traits are very masculine in nature too. And even just, you know, who, who are we seeing in this, in these roles? And then when we actually have the decision-making power, whether it's hiring or promotion, are we bringing in more of the same people who think alike, speak, you know, speak alike, act alike, et cetera. So a lot of, I, a lot of the, the biases that we see, I mean, and, and there's so many pieces of this, I feel like we could talk about this for several hours, <laughs> um, you know, but, but one I would just say is, you know, right now, especially in hybrid and remote cultures, I'm going to say proximity bias. So is it the people that you're interacting with more one-on-one? -on -one? Um, and even, you know, or, or are you actually taking the time to really develop everybody that, that's on your team? And even taking a step back from that, it's, I think it's just, it's, it's exposure. It's, it's connecting with people and really embracing different ideas of what leadership could look like. Because if we're actually thinking about there's one idea of a leader and we put this person up top and then you hire similar people, it's going to be one person and honestly a whole bunch of mini-me's, right? <laughs> it's not, that's not diversity. That's not innovation. That's not inclusion. And so, you know, there's, and I think that's, that's the challenge that I always ask leaders, what, you know, when you think about traits, what does that actually mean? So for example, um, a client about a couple of years ago that I had, and it, this still stands out to me, he wanted, um, he's the senior leader and he wanted his leader to be more confident. And I always ask, well, what does that look like to you? And he talked about this person's appearance, which to me is not the definition of, of, that I would think of for confidence. And so it's really to challenge, you know, what, what do you envision and how are you actually bringing more people to the table? Yeah, I know that is so good. So much to unpack there. And Yolanda, you're, you're shaking your head. So I know that you're, you're definitely aligned with what Anu is sharing. A couple thoughts, and then I would love for you to express what's coming up for you. Um, you talked about this sea of sameness, you know, that those are my words, not yours, but you were really just getting to the, the, 
you know, the point of how we tend to, and this is human nature, we gravitate to people who are like us. And that's where the conversation of fit versus ad, right? Cultural fit versus ad needs to be um, really brought to the fore so that people aren't seeing, um, missing the opportunity to add additional um, talent based upon the difference that may be from the, the, the present group that's a part of that organization. I also think that um, it's important for us to refute this idea of conformity and groupthink. You know, when everybody's thinking alike, no one's really thinking. And that is, that is in essence, what the output of conformity. We're just conforming to the mainstream dominant culture instead of bringing our authentic selves to that conversation. And that's where we really do defeat the whole um, value and strength of diversity, right? And so I, I appreciate the emphasis there. Alanda, I want to get you, I want to get your thoughts here? I, in general, I was just reflecting on how the workplace is evolving. When we think about, um, you know, le leaders of, of kind of uh, yesteryear, um, it tended to fit a certain profile, um, a certain age, you know, a certain gender, um, a certain race and ethnicity. And as we really look at just the, the grain of, of like the leadership space in the workforce, there's creating space for a different type of leader. And, you know, that comes in different shapes and forms as well. Um, but, but I think about some of the um, millennials and zennials that are, are really redefining what leadership looks like as they're, you know, kicking off their own companies um, and really leading with their voices in a way that um, uh, many of us just aren't accustomed to. And the impact that that's really having on um, leadership by definition. I think we're mm -hmm. seeing more um, authentic leaders. We're seeing um, people lean into situational leadership more than we ever have, which, which really calls for different types of thinking and embracing um, the, the ideas and perspectives of others as we navigate through really just a shifting work environment. No, absolutely. Um, I love what you said when you mentioned creating space for a different type of leader. You know, it is time for us to start reimagining how we've always viewed um, a quote unquote leader and, um, and, and creating and making that space. Um, you know, I think that's something that's really important for from a DEI practitioner perspective is how in which we are amplifying the leadership aspect of this work, right? You know, we've been talking a lot at NWC about the need for us to be intentional to not always just, you know, gravitate towards the language of diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, but let's let's lead with now leadership because that's what this is. It's at the core of it. And I believe that there's probably a a greater appetite for that type of conversation these days. Um, and so I, I appreciate the, the affirmation that um, this conversation is bringing to some of our thinking that's happening within NWC. So I want to shift a little bit and I want to talk about sponsorship versus training. So why should leaders choose sponsorship over training? Anyway, would you like to lead on that? Sure. So Many years ago, I was asked to consult with an organization where um, there, there was just a, a stopping point for women leaders. They made it to a certain level, and then we didn't see a lot of representation at, at higher levels. And what does every organization do in this situation to diversify their leadership like pipeline is to stick everyone in the leadership development program. 
So, you know, and, and we both, you know, we, we come from a leadership development background. So I think that these experiences are beneficial for everyone, but if you yes. really want to make a shift, there's actually, there's three things that I would always focus on. So leadership development, yes, but if you only do that, it's a band-aid. It's in, in band-aids, you know, if, if something is a significant problem um, and it's hemorrhaging, you don't put a band-aid on it. So the other two pieces are what, you know, is going to be sponsorship. So it's really about increasing visibility, building those relationships, helping people to, um, you know, to, to actually for stepping in and really advocating for other people. So these are individuals whose um, voice might not be in the room at the right time with the right people. So that's what yeah. we're doing sponsorship wise. But there's a third component too. And that third component is how do you have the people who have these decision-making skills or decision-making powers um, for promotions or assigning people to these stretch assignments? How are we disrupting their biases? And so when you stick all three of those together, that's the golden trifecta for me. And if you just do pieces of it, especially just the first one, which is a leadership development training, you're not going to see the impact that you want. You're not going to see that shift. Mm, that's really good. That's really good. And sometimes, um, you know, people will mistake or, you know, use interchangeably sponsorships with mentorships. And while they're both are really critical um, aspects of development and growth, there's a huge distinction. And so, um, Yolanda, do you want to kind of share a little bit about the, the distinction points there between sponsorship and mentorship? Sure. Um, so with sponsorship, really, there's a level of accountability and responsibility yeah. mm -hmm. that you carry yeah. that's not necessarily present with mentorship. Um, mentorship tends to be a two-way street yeah. and um, sponsorship and or let's take a level above advocacy um, is has the power to really change the trajectory and the experience for that person that you're sponsoring or advocating for. No, that's key. The, the optimum word that you use was accountability, and that is the key separator. You know, I often say that um, where you track and measure, things get done. Where you hold people accountable, they deliver. But if without that accountability piece, that's when it, it just becomes kind of a wish or a desire, uh, but it definitely doesn't always lead to the outcomes that we're seeking. So I, I appreciate that distinction. Lots of great stuff happening into the chat. And so keep keep that engagement going. So how can we shift company culture when we when we when while redefining skills and what defines someone as a leader worth developing? So how can we shift company culture while redefining skills and what defines someone as a leader worth developing? Are leaders made? Or are they born? You know, we hear all these conversations so often, right? What leaders are yeah. Yeah. Leaders are developed and cultivated yeah. over time. It's, it's, so would an you say evolution. that anyone, would you say that anyone can, can be in that stead and that, in that role and that title? I believe so. I believe we all have the capacity. We don't all cultivate it. Mm, so good. Yeah. I totally agree yeah. with that. And, and yeah. that resonates with me personally, just from yeah. my personal experience of, of, you know, I've been on my own journey. And if, if you could see my whiteboard behind me, it has the I'm divine light, but it also says I do not shrink, nor do I dim my light. Oh, I love that. So in Anu and I talk about this a lot. We're each other's cheerleaders. And when when our confidence is lacking or, or we're um, operating from a place of fear, like we pull each other forward. 
Mm. And th to me, that's cultivating like your inner leadership. It's, it's, it's a trait that I think you have to, to master or to, um, uh, you know, work on uh, first internally before you can then show up in a leadership capacity externally. So, yeah. so said differently, if you're not leading self, it's hard to lead others. Oh, of course. You're right. That self-awareness, self-management is where it starts. Um, Anu, I want to hear from you on this same question. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you first when you first put that question out there um, about you know leaders and and who can be a leader. I think sometimes people actually gatekeep and say, oh, here's what the vision of a leader is. So, you know, I'm going to focus on person A and B, but not person C. We all have leadership capacity. We can lead at home. We can, you know, lead with our family, our community, um, at work. It's not about the title. And, and so it's really, you know, I really think that sometimes it's actually someone just completely believing in you. And, and once they have that, then they can say, oh, you know what, I really can do this. Um, there was a, a woman several years ago who there was a vacancy in, in on her team. So she stepped up as, as a interim senior director on her team. Then the position actually opened up so she could apply for it. She said, well, I don't know if I can do it. And I said, but you've been doing this for six months. Mm -hmm. and, and having that conversation, having someone truly say, I believe in you and I see that in you, that is what she needed to hear to, to make that shift, even though she was literally doing this job for six months already. Yeah. So, and that's influence. You know, I think that's mm -hmm. what I love about leadership in general. It's about influence. And, and oftentimes when I express that, you know, being inclusion minded, you know, really fostering that sense of belonging and really being focused with an equity lens, that's all like competencies of leadership. And so when we think about it in that regard, it's not leadership always by title or positionality, it is by influence. And where I think that becomes really relevant to all of us who are really wanting to operate in this space at a high level, or even just to be effective allies, you know, a title that is earned by those in which we're allying for, um, is that we don't have to have a title of chief diversity officer, manager, director, or HR professional, or coach. You know, we can literally be in any type of role and position and still be able to foster positivity and traction and momentum within this work, right? And so I think that's so important. Um, and I just wanted to bring that to the conversation because so, so often people will say, well, I can't impact that. I believe in it. I, I have values, my personal values around DEI, but I, I can't really impact that because I'm not in this position. I'm not in leadership. I'm not a part of the C-suite. And that's not true. So I, I so love that. I want to talk about coaching now. Um, and so I want to understand from your vantage point, the benefits of coaching. Because this has really increased, I would say, probably over the last, you know, five or so years in terms of how organizations are viewing coaching and bringing coaching opportunities into their organization as part of that professional development. But um, outside of that, why should DEI practitioners focus on coaching over training? What's the difference there and, and how can we gain maybe greater traction, if you think that we can, by a coaching mentality versus a training? Who wants to I'll take, take that it. one? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Well, I, I think at the root of, of coaching is sustained behavior change. I think that's mm -hmm. the power behind it. And because as, as coaches, we're, we're guides. We're walking alongside you on, on your journey to doing your own work. 
mm-hmm. training, you know, we're, we're giving you information and, and then you leave and you choose what you do with it, but there's no accountability in it. And there's that mm-hmm. word again, there's accountability. There's that word again. <laughs> yeah. The other word you mentioned, Alonda was um, sustained Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that's, that's, that's part of what we're trying to create is that transformative change that's going to remain even beyond that moment of time of receiving that information. Um, it's, you know, I certainly align with your, your philosophy around um, the sustained behavior change. One of the things that we've intentionally tried to do at NWC is shift our language. We really don't like to use the word training, you know, because it sounds like a destination, right? We more often use language like learning and development experiences, and there could be a whole strategy of different modalities that are being leveraged to help people really to, to learn what they need to learn so that ultimately they can apply it as practice and it becomes second nature. So your thoughts anew on, on coaching versus training and really the benefits of it. It's, it's exactly what, what was just discussed, right? I really think it's, it's sustained behavior change. It's personalization. There's know, quite a bit of information that's out there, then how do we actually take the time to apply it to me? What are my strengths? What are my challenges? Um, And then what's the support that I need? So really being, you know, you're you're walking away with a very clear action plan and putting things into practice. Um, And one thing that I always like to emphasize is especially in the DEI space, it is not about perfection. Perfection causes stress and anxiety. Um, It's about practice. Practice is what creates progress. So specifically yes. to, to, you know, to DEI, I think coaching is, is tremendous and wonderful. And I think it's just so impactful because what we're doing is we're creating psychologically safe spaces. And I've had many clients over the years, um, you know, approach me with this kind of frenzied energy when it comes to DEI of, you know, um, kind of just this, I, I'm scared if I, that I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm scared that I'm going to mm-hmm. do the wrong thing. And so creating that or providing that psychologically safe space in coaching is that I'm not going to judge you. Um, you know, you're, you're here to share and, and we can, we can talk about things in such an open way where yeah. I've had people share with me that, you know what, I haven't had a lot of exposure to this specific group and, and they don't have an opportunity to share that anywhere else. And so there's questions that they might have of, of specific experiences. And so when they're able to share that within that psychologically safe space and not be judged, then they can actually come up with what's the action plan, you know, after that of what I can do to learn and to grow. And, and I'll also say that many organizations are really focusing on diversifying their leadership pipeline. And so mm-hmm. like what we talked about before, so, you know, a lot of people are going into leadership development experiences and many of these are focused on women and what many organizations are going to say ethnically diverse professionals. Well, what does that mean? So it's basically right. everyone but white men, because mm-hmm. those are individuals who are overrepresented. And so I've actually provided psychologically safe spaces through coaching for white men to come in and say, well, wait a second, does this mean that I'm being left out? Does this mean that, you know, the organization doesn't care about me? And I'd much rather help them have that conversation in those, you know, in those coaching sessions with me, because if they're having it with themselves, um, it's not leading to a great place. If they're having it with a peer who's in a similar situation, that's not really helping either. So when they're able to have these conversations and just name it, right? Name what the challenge is. And they're actually able to move through that too. So when we're able to have these conversations, what happens is, you know, with these specific situations I'm thinking of is, okay, well, now I understand the why. Now I understand, you know, why as an organization we're doing this. And now I'm understanding my role. And how can I step up and be an ally? 
And that I think coaching can really drive DEI impact forward much faster and in a much more impactful way. And I think that's why we've got to really make sure that coaching is a part of this. I so love everything that you just shared. And the one thing that really stood out to me um, is the, the personalization. You're right. I mean, we can, you know, gather, convene a group of people all day long and we can kind of talk at them with, you know, several different information that may help, you know, build up their knowledge. But until we really can tailor fit kind of a strategy and a plan for development that is useful to the person based upon where they are, I think that's where the difference comes in at. You know, the reality is that we all are entering these conversations at different places within our own learning journey, right? We have different mental models that we are holding, and there's not really a one-size-fits-all approach. And I do want to amplify something that's in the chat that um, Alfred Ramirez shared, and he's, he's mentioning maybe it's not an either-or when it comes to coaching, training, mentoring, sponsorship. It's really a combination of all of the above, and I do believe that. Um, and so I, I think that we have to get out of this um, mentality of there being kind of this one approach that's now going to solve all of the things for all the people because no, no such thing really exists. So we're going to be shifting momentarily to take questions and comments from those who are gathered here today. And you have a couple ways in which you can do that. One of which is continue to go to the chat. Um, if you have a question, you can certainly send that into the chat and we will make sure that we uh, present the question to our guest co-host. Or we also love to spotlight individuals who are willing to unmute themselves and to contribute their question or comments um, live. And so we do welcome that as well. We ask that you identify yourself and your desire to do so by just raising your hand and that lets me know that um, you are willing to be spotlighted and so we'll transition there in just a moment i'll go to one other question while maybe others are thinking about perhaps what they'd like to contribute i want to move to talking about allies and so how can allies show up in really impactful ways what does that look like who would like to start with that one i'll let you all decide do you want to go for it go ahead i know <laughs> <laughs> well, Nika, I think you you shared a very clear distinction. This is not something that is a um, chosen title. Um, it is something that's earned. And there's so many different behaviors that people can engage in. And I think what's most relevant when we talk about personalization is actually is, is having a conversation of, of what is it that you need and then me stepping up in that way. So taking it even further, because I think people you know, think of allyship in a much, a little bit more of a general way. And so for us to have even more impact, I think it's actually looking at, you know, specific situations. So if I'm in an, um, if I, if I'm in a team meeting and I keep getting, you know, talked over, um, then, you know, that would be a great allyship behavior of, of, you know, of just pointing that out. But I think, and, and we hear those types of examples all the time, but my, you know, challenge recommendation to people is let's actually dig in a little bit deeper and find out for each individual well, what does that actually look like as I'm partnering with them how can I be a better ally to them versus just here's a list of behaviors and here's my checklist of what to do Alanda, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. anything you'd like yes. to add to that um I I just second that and say that it's really about the personalization like allyship is not a badge that you you get for reading a book um, yeah. uh, you, you know, it's, it's really about the one-on-one -on -one interactions and the, the choice that you make in those moments, um, to, to show up in a way that is supportive of, of the individual or individuals. And so I, I really think that it's, 
it's it's honestly more of a, a description or a label that the person on the receiving end should bestow upon you versus you yeah. just declaring yourself an ally. Absolutely. And yeah, go for it. When I think of that, like I think about the question of whose needs are you centering? So mm. if you're centering your own needs, mm-hmm. that's not allyship. Mm-hmm. It's not allyship. Yeah. That, that is allyship. good. Really Powerful. good litmus test. Y'all remember that. Whose needs are you centering? Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Um, and it is about at bare minimum action, not just, you know, your thoughts and your sentiments, right? I mean, that carries some weight, but what are you doing from an action-oriented perspective to really help um, advance the needs of, of those who are part of these marginalized communities? And so I appreciate that distinction. So I'm seeing a couple hands up and also some items that are in the uh, the chat that I want to make sure we can bring to the conversation. Let's first start with Bianca. Bianca, I am going to um, uh, you know ask that you please unmute yourself, and we'd love to to get you into the conversation. Good morning. I am grateful to be in this space. My name is Bianca. My pronouns are she or Aya. Um, I'm the director of health equity and have a question around. I find in the equity space that a lot of us are women of color and yet senior leadership tends to be white. And I find very often that white senior leadership seems to try to pit the women of color in DEI against each other when it comes to funding, when it comes to strategic priority. And so I'm wondering how do you approach white leadership saying like equity is important, you have a lot of people of color underneath you that are trying to get this work going, but it seems like you are kind of making us almost it's like an inside fight where there's supposed to be solidarity amongst people of color, but there can't be because we're all fighting for resources that are all coming from a white identified senior leader. Great question. Thanks for being here, Bianca. Yeah. Thank you, but that's such a great question and thank you for asking it. And I would actually say, so when we're noticing these things, it's it's actually bringing it up to people's attention. And, and the way that we do that too is how do we invite people into the conversation? Um, and I actually have, have uh, a Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote up on my wall. It's fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. So mm-hmm. how can we have this conversation, invite people in into this journey have them join us. And so it's not, it's not a us versus them. It's a, we, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And, you know, I think Bianca, it's important that you not depend on the guidance of the leadership to come together and form the community amongst you and your, and your colleagues. I think that that's, that's where I would honestly start um, is calling attention to like this, you know, I, I I'm feeling this, are you feeling it as well? Like, how are you experiencing this? And how do we want to address it with leadership collectively? So you're presenting more of a, a unified affront, affront. So there's less opportunity for that division. If you all have done your work and you've aligned prior to you know, moving forward with leadership. Thank you. I appreciate the thoughtfulness of your answers. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for Bianca. So again, more hands are going up. I am going to now spotlight Lakeisha. Lakeisha, thanks so much for being here. Um, feel free to share your question, comments. Hi, everyone. My name is actually Lakeisha. Lakeisha, thank you so much. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, hi, Yolanda. Hi. <laughs> so, um, 
Yolanda, you made a comment that the workplace is evolving and more and more people are looking for ways to identify mentors, sponsors, et cetera. And I often hear when the question is asked, should someone ask someone to be a sponsor? I hear differing, differing opinions about um, that question. For me, I usually advise people to, instead of asking someone to be your sponsor, to turn it around and more ask them about what do I need to do that will help you understand more about what I do so that if they're in rooms and my name happens to come up, they're able to speak to who I am and what I do and what my passions are. Can some of you share your thoughts on should someone ask someone to be their sponsor? Because it's it's a different school of thought for, based on who you ask. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's it's a mixture of both. I think it depends on the relationship and the dynamic at play. Um, part of the nuance to the, the, the way you described is that you are, if you're coming to them, like you're, you're showing them, you're demonstrating that you're worthy almost. And I, actually I'm gonna change that word, that you um, are um, prepared to receive their, their sponsorship because you know, you're showing them like what you can do and then, you know, organically they're, they're buying in and they're wanting to advocate and, and sponsor you, right? Um, sometimes people are just, they don't see it. They just, you know, they think that you are just a top performer and they really appreciate the work that you do. And you have to go that extra mile and call attention to like, this is where I'm trying to go and I need your support in getting there. Um, so I think it's, it's, we can't be afraid to speak up and advocate for ourselves um, when they're not quite picking up on what, you know, what we're giving off. Um, and at the same time, I think we have to be prepared and we have to be de demonstrating, you know, that we are um, ready for what we're asking for. Mm -hmm. Such a great question, Lakaisha. One of the things that was coming up for me as you were um, presenting your question and Yolanda was, was, you know, presenting her points, I believe that there is a, a level of responsibility at the organization's level to um, incorporate a process by which being engaged in a sponsorship relationship is, is easy, right? Especially if you are a large organization with a large population of people that you're looking to retain who are often challenged because they're the one and onlys and they are feeling this sense of isolation. Because um, it's not always easy, let's just face it. It's not always easy to ask someone to be a mentor and, and even it's, it's harder, I believe, to ask someone to be your sponsor. So I believe that if organizational leaders can build that into their infrastructure, it takes away some of the angst that people can have by saying, hey, will you will you put me on to someone so that I can have this upward mobility opportunities, right? So anyway, I just wanted to add that thought to it. And, uh, thanks so much. Yeah. And, and Nika, as you were sharing, I was reflecting on um, just experience that I've had at a prior organization where I, oftentimes it's, it's a peer of the sponsor that is putting someone on, on that person's radar and saying, I need, I need you to sponsor this person. Like I'm too close and I yeah. need you to step in. Um, and, and also the, 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 the moment I had is that often it's, it's, it's white males. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it poses a new, a different question of how do women and, you know, racial and ethnic minorities secure sponsorship? Oh, that's so good. Elanda, I cannot tell you how many times I have had white male CEOs, C-suite leaders to reach out to say, Dr. White, I want to connect you with someone. This person has great potential and I just believe that you can help them. And once I start to probe and dig deep, it's always a person of color, most often another woman of color. And what they're saying to me is that as a white man, I don't think that I am equipped to help a mentor and sponsor them. And that's a problem. That's a problem. And so so I love the fact that there are individuals like the two of you who have strategies to really help um, prepare white male colleagues to, to be equipped to help provide that level of mentorship and sponsorship. Because honestly, that's where a lot of the influence lies. That's where a lot of the power lies. And so we can't, we can't negate what that experience could bring to the output of someone's um, upward mobility potential, you know? So anyway, um, Lakaisha, thank you so very much uh, for being here today for sharing that. Yeah, go for it. So I'm just thinking of it's it's being really intentional, being really, I guess, clear, actually, of what it is that you want, because when we're having a conversation with someone, if they just know that we do a great job or that, you know, maybe we'd like to move up that's not for me that's not clear enough and so it's really about yeah. what is it that I need and then what are your thoughts can you give me some advice right so having that conversation not just the ask of you know I want you to help me become CEO right but it's here's here's my you know here's what I'm working on and what are what is your advice and what are some ways that you think you know that I can work on ABC you're building that relationship they know what you want and then they're able to know exactly what to do to help sponsor you because it's about having the right conversations at the right time with the right people. So they've got the access, but we've got to really be clear on what it is that we want. Cause if they don't, if they don't know that that sponsorship is a little bit challenging, it's challenging for, for others to know what to do. You're so right. And again, that goes back to why that infrastructure is so important. That infrastructure includes not only creating those pairs where you have a, someone who's needing to be sponsored and you having that sponsor, but they both know what what is what is their role in this, right? And the outcome that we're trying to create together. Um, I see two hands up. I'm going to go there, but I also want to make sure that I'm paying attention to the questions that are being presented in the chat. So I will go there next, and then I'll come back to Alfred and Kwamina. Um, so I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, um, Indira, or maybe Indira. Her question is: Can you talk a little bit more about how you would coach that white leader? who is concerned about being left out. And I knew, I think this goes back to one of the comments you made before where you, you certainly shared, sometimes they feel like, well, I'm left out of this now. What is my role here? So I wanna, you know, while we're shifting from the conversation of how oftentimes, you know, white male CEOs or C-suite leaders are challenged by the coaching opportunity, I think this is a great segue into um, Indira's question. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I think it's it's going back to one, you want to create a psychologically safe space. So there to really make sure that people understand there is no judgment to feel comfortable to saying whatever is coming up. And, and I think about, you know, in coaching, so there's always underlying themes. If there's frustration, what's underneath the frustration? Um, if there's anger, right? Frustration, whatever that might be, it's typically hurt or fear. So we go straight in to, you know, what, what is this really about? And so let's actually dig in a little bit deeper. And, you know, some of, some of the things that people have, have shared with me as far as the, the fear aspect is, you know, what's going to happen in my career? 
Um, do I still have a place in this organization? And you yeah. know, the one that I know I've, I've been talking to a lot of my friends, um, including you know my soul sister on this call, <laughs> is I've I've had I've had senior white male leaders actually tell me that you know what I'm not worried about myself. I'm worried about opportunities for my kids in the future when we're going to be a much more demographically diverse, uh, you know, just country. What, what's going to happen to opportunities for my kids? And I, there's no judgment there. It's listening and it's real talk, right? And real conversations that are important. And it's opening up a space to let's actually have those real conversations. So I think when you, you're able to dig in a little bit deeper of, of what the fear is, and then especially tying it back to, you know, the, the, what we were talking about before about organizations and you know diversifying the, the leadership pipeline it's what's if you're tying it to organizational values it actually helps people understand why we're doing this um, and then and then I go deeper into like are you afraid that something's being taken away and something's being given to someone else so you look at you look at the pie right sometimes we think there's only eight you know like pie pizza whatever eight slices of, of pizza and that's it so there's nothing else for anyone else well it doesn't have to we don't have to look at things that way we can have many pies we can have many slices of pizza and so I think when we get to this place of realizing that an opportunity for me doesn't mean that you're you know that you're losing out on an opportunity we can all actually have access to more opportunities we can all be successful together and the the key from this for me is that we're all in this together my you know my success is your success your success is my success so how can we all do this together yeah, it's not a zero sum game, the scarcity mindset versus the abundance mindset. So very, very good. Um, I'm going to try to squeeze a couple more questions in. And so Alfred, your, your hand has been up for a while. I'll go to you and then hopefully we'll have time, Debbie, for, for you to close this yeah. out with your final question. Real quick, um, you know, it's, it's almost by default, especially in larger organizations, that there's going to be a BIPOC, uh, someone who's a non-BIPOC individual who's a sponsor, a mentor, or a coach. Yeah. Uh, and so my question is, how can you help us frame how we go into it, um, our mindsets, our behaviors, our attitudes, uh, when, when, when power is in, involved, uh, and mm -hmm. then when, when we sometimes get a bit subservient in our role, and the homework that we should be doing to, to form an agreement, um, take ownership of the, pro of the process, uh, and also to give them homework or constantly be an active sponsee or mentee, et cetera. Uh, that, 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 that would be my question. Yeah, and I'm going to ask um, Elanda or Anu, whoever's going to take this question, to please kind of um, re reframe his question or, or to repeat it. The audio was a little low, and I want to make sure we all have the benefit of knowing what his question was. You want to jump in? Rock, paper, scissors? <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll reframe. So what, what I heard you say, Alfred, is that there are a couple of couple of different aspects to your to your question. So I'll say like as the um, as the coachee, mentee, or sponsoree, um, how do you ensure that you are showing up in a way that is authentic um, and and mindful of the different power dynamics at play? And then on the other side for the sponsor, mentor, and um, or coach. You know what? What do we suggest for those individuals in preparing to really hold the space effectively um, for for that individual? Was that good? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, so one thing that that Anu and I are both really passionate about 
is supporting other coaches um, and, and leaders and sponsors and holding spaces for um, diverse clients. Um, it, it, it really requires, even as a, as a, a credentialed coaches, that we do our own work and come into that space um, with, with an open mind and ready to listen listen to understand and not necessarily to respond and that we are really checking our biases along the way. It is hard. It, I, I, I will just admit that it's very challenging to do. And um, it's part of like being practice. And, you know, and also being vulnerable and authentic with the person um, and in expressing that, you know, um, what your role is. So basically, you don't want to take on more than you're equipped to take on and more than you're capable of when you're showing up in that capacity. And then on, on the other side, I, I think it's, it's, it's a similar answer about doing your own work, but I think it's important to call out um, when those power dynamics exist and that that makes it, you know, um, that might make you a little bit uncomfortable. And when you're setting agreements at the beginning of that relationship, whether it's coaching or whether it's a sponsorship relationship, then, you know, you, you align on the fact that we're here showing up as two people um, in these capacities in this moment. And I recognize you may be my supervisor or you may be a leader in this organization. And, you know, today you're here to support me in this capacity. So it's really just acknowledging that um, mm -hmm. and, when, and making it part of your agreement that when you feel like bias is creeping in or those power dynamics are creeping in, that you'll pause and that you'll be able to call it out. But it requires having a safe environment, which we can go into on another call, like how to foster that. But that's really critical. It was such a good response. I love that and in there, you know, that and, you know, this is the case. And this is also something I want. I don't want to be missed. I think that's really critical. We are out of time. And I would love for us to invite you both back because it's been such a great conversation. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I, I'm telling you that secretly I'm like claiming you both as a soul sister because I just want it to be, right? <laughs> um, but I do hope that um, you all continue to find value in being connected with Elonda and Anu because they have great intel, great insight. And um, I hope that you also will share this podcast experience with others that you feel like would gain value by the replay or catching it on podcast. Um, safe and happy weekend to each one of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully, We'll see you again next week on Intentional Conversations podcast. Thanks so much, you all. Bye-bye.